Hey, thanks for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. Before we get started on today's official episode, Paul and I just wanted to say a special thank you. Yes, so this episode, hard to believe, is our 100th episode. We've You're kidding, 100. 100, <laughs> which is including all of our great ones where we talk to different people, as well as the many different bonus episodes and series and all the different things. It's hard to imagine we are at 100 already because it's only been a few years, but here we are, episode 100. Um, so what better way to highlight it than uh, take a, taking a little bit of a peek behind the scenes on how one of these iconic historic venues celebrates their 100. Yeah, for sure. And before we actually get into it, we do have a few people we want to thank because it's it's not just Paul and I putting this together. We have some great folks behind the scenes who help us out. Paul? Absolutely. We've got Megan Ebeck, Samantha Marker, and Camille Faulkner from our team. You've heard them. There's episodes about each of them where you can go back and listen to those. They joined us on our fun holiday episode. But a huge thank you to them for, uh, you know, really completing our full squad that has stayed together and have fun with this thing over the years. Absolutely. And and a big thanks to everybody who's been a guest on our show. Uh, Paul has uh, really worked hard behind the scenes to get everybody uh, booked. And uh, we've just had so many great stories that people have shared with us that I just really feel I'm, I'm just going to say it. I would take a moment to appreciate it. I just feel we've built up an incredible archive of people in this industry and their stories and their adventures that hadn't really been captured in any way before. And uh, just look forward to, to seeing what's coming next. Yes, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, it's it's something that we were very um, aware of when we launched this back in the dark times of 2020, where <laughs> we felt like we felt like this industry wasn't uh, the people in this industry wasn't sharing their story enough. And if we could help do that by shedding a little light on some of these amazing people that are really putting the boots to the ground to make these incredible events and things happen anything we could do to help do that, you know, is great. And so I think you're exactly right, Dave. Now we've got this awesome archive of, you know, anyone and everyone, we're always looking for new guests. So if you are listening to this right now and you would, you know, you think you have a great story to tell, you don't have to be experienced. You could be young, you know, we're looking for all kinds of people reach out to us. You can email us at adventures and venueland at gmail.com. Or if you have a friend, peer of yours in the industry, please let us know. But we're, you know, we're at a hundred right now, but we've got plenty more to go and we've got an exciting lineup of ones we've already booked. Um, so we're, we're looking toward the future just as much as the past. Absolutely. So thank you again so much for listening. We uh, appreciate your support of the podcast. And with that said, let's get into episode 100. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. Join us for this all-access pass backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live event industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to incredible guests who journey with us as we dive deep into the world of venues, tours, festivals, and everything in between. Grab your laminate and meet us in Venue Land. Hello and welcome to a special detour episode of Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. 
I'm Dave Rettelberger, and along with my co-host, Paul Hooper. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's a detour or a side trip, a mini bonus episode. In fact, as we just mentioned, episode 100, we take a look at something cool going on in the live entertainment industry. Uh, and uh, Paul, would you be so kind as to introduce our guest today? Of course. So we are joined by Marina Fote. And she is with the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, and they are celebrating their centennial anniversary, which is not very common in this industry to get to that many years for any venue. But what a fitting way to sort of ring in our 100th episode with talking to uh people that are celebrating their 100th anniversary for a venue. So uh, could not be uh, more excited to talk to her. Welcome, Marina. Thank you guys both so much, uh, Paul and Dave. It is great to be here and can't wait to get into it. So for, for folks who are, who've never been, give us a little bit on the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum and, and your role with it currently. Yes, absolutely. So um, going all the way back to the very beginning of the Coliseum, um, there were really three core reasons that the Coliseum was built 100 years ago. And the, the project was undertaken for those variety of reasons. But the reason number one is they needed a place for the USC football team to play. Um, there were some temporary fields and some moving around back in the early 19-teens and the early 1900s in general um, with the team, and they wanted more of a permanent location to play football. Uh, the second reason, uh, we were coming off the heels of World War I at the time in uh, history, and there needed to be a place where those who served in World War One could be remembered. And so they wanted a memorial place that was central in the city of Los Angeles uh, in order to do that. And then in turn and simultaneously would also bring community and other different kinds of initiatives to the area as well. Um, and the third reason was in order to sort of bulk up the city of Los Angeles's 1932 Olympic bid. Um, so those were the three reasons that the Coliseum was built originally. And uh, we are more than grateful that it has stood the tests, many tests of time. And <laughs> Bill stands today. Uh, we're, you know, so in love with the building. Myself, um, our general manager here at the Coliseum, our entire team, we really have a very genuine and very real appreciation for just everything that's been through. Um, very exciting stuff. And just the history there is unparalleled. You really cannot compare it to any other location. I would argue in all of sports. Um, and then as for myself, um, my background here as the assistant to the general manager of the Coliseum, I uh, am primarily in administration. So my priorities are before each of our events to essentially sort of be the middle person on a lot of our contractual negotiations for each event agreement that we eventually sign on both sides. Additionally, I oversee our invoicing, uh, making sure that we're all receiving all of our payments for the upcoming events. 
those types of things. Uh, certificates of insurance is another big one on my end. Just making sure all the little things kind of come in and line up in advance of the event. On top of that as well, I assist with a lot of our sales and marketing efforts and promotional efforts and those types of things. So anytime there is a public ticketed event, we usually have some form of strategy behind it on social media and the website and, you know, a lot of our internal marketing as well, um, a lot of the systems within the building. So kind of just queuing all those things up and making sure that, you know, the events get as much uh, visual exposure as possible. And um, we similarly have a really cool freeway sign right off the 110 freeway mm -hmm. if you're local to the city of LA. And um, that is our sign essentially that we use to promote a lot of upcoming events. Similarly, we'll occasionally promote a historical moment on the sign as well. Um, so if you're ever driving up the 110 freeway on the 110 North and uh, through Los Angeles past around just before the Martin Luther King and the exposition exit, that's where you would see that sign. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's a little bit of what I do. I work with a little <laughs> bit of all our teams. So yeah, sure. um, bit of a variety. <laughs> well, let's get into it. A hundred years, and you kind of hit on what the genesis was on what created the need for the venue and, and them building it. But that's not a very common anniversary um, in, in our world. And, and it, it seems to be uh, becoming even less and less common. You know, I think there was this wave of venues maybe in sort of the mid 1900s or mid to late that stood some tests of times, but now it's like, oh, you're not a shiny arena. Let's knock it down and build another. So it's, I think that tends to be more of the trend lately where you've got a really beautiful arena, but it can be even better. So let's build a better one. So I think it really is quite remarkable because even thinking globally, I don't think there's a whole lot. I think Wembley Stadium is also maybe celebrating a centennial and there might be a few others, but like that is Ohio Stadium in Columbus. Ohio Stadium. <laughs> we, yeah, we don't care about that. Last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that uh, again, that, that's a very, it's not a common anniversary to hit. And so what was your all's approach sort of as you, as you got close to it? I'm sure you're like, it's looming large, like, okay, we've got to, we got to do it up for this. Like, you know, this is a, this is a big one. It's a three digit anniversary. You know, we don't get these very often. Yes, 100%. You're absolutely right. Hit the nail on the head. Very uncommon. And we really wanted to capitalize on the uniqueness of this moment for the building 100%. And so initially back in 2021, when we started the conversations about the centennial and, you know, how are we going to celebrate? It was really a question of, you know, what is the best way to really do this? You know, do we do it with, you know, just one giant moment, if you will, just like sure. come in and celebrate it with a bang? Do we celebrate it more in a progressive format? You know, what what do we do? So lots and lots of strategizing and different conversations, both internally and um, with some campus folks and some of our partners. Numerous conversations were had over the course of that planning period. And what we kind of landed on were a few core things. The first one being we wanted to really with each event that we host in the centennial year and even beyond, we wanted to really appreciate and show sort of a an overall general appreciation for the history, but also make it 
very much about looking forward into the next 100 years. So with each event, we did little things such as everybody would wear a button. We have centennial pins. We have all of these things available to our fans in our customer service booths and any public locations that are, um, you know, servicing the fans during any of our events. So we have little, um, I guess, signs of it basically everywhere that you can sort of see and get an understanding that, you know, this is happening. And I think throughout the building as well, we were very intentional with our placement of a lot of the banners. And we also had, um, so on the flagpoles, we had banners up and then on a lot of the flags inside the stadium that sort of fly on um, kind of like that outer upper edge of the stadium. So kind of along where the parasol is, but then wrapping around the bowl as well, we have flags in the Coliseum's colors. So they're uh, black, gold, and white, and they kind of alternate with the Centennial 100-year logo. So um, we've really uh, sort of done those little things to kind of show, oh, and then of course, our our field as well. I How can I forget on the football field? When the team or when our grounds team paints the USC on the field for each of the football games. This whole year, we had an outer border as well with the Coliseum Forever slogan, which we kind of came up with. Um, And so that sort of sat right above the USC letters as well. So again, anyone attending the football game, visually, they look down, they see 100 Coliseum Forever. You know, it's that's that's what it is. It's it's the centennial. We're celebrating 100 years. So I'm just kind of visually making it known throughout the building for our events. And then the second, I would say I kind of call it probably two pillars is a good way of putting it. The second pillar of this whole celebration and the importance of it, we really wanted all fans of any generation to feel like they can share their own story about the Coliseum and have it be known and have it be, you know, potentially published for the rest of our audience to kind of see on socials and um, on the video boards during football games and other events. So we did open that up to basically our entire email list, everybody that we reach out to on a regular basis, sort of promotionally for um, upcoming events and those types of things. So we essentially sent out a link and you could share your own story of the Coliseum and it sort of became a trend. We had hashtag associated with it as well. Um, And we did get quite a bit of fan feedback there of people not just sharing their own stories, but the coolest part of it too was the stories that were passed down from previous generations. Someone's, oh, that's great. you know, grandparents were here yeah, for this cool. or, you know, oh, my, my uh, great grandma was here when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, was there and, you know, saw his speech. So it really uh, reached just a very wide spectrum of possibilities in terms of the generations that the building has touched. And I think it really did a number in in terms of us really having an understanding of just how incredible this place is. You know, um, we already kind of knew the history, but then to hear it in the context of a personal story gives an entirely new and fresh and really exciting spin on everything. And you all have a great sort of microsite, right? That's this Coliseum Forever um, sort of hub with that information. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So all the history is there. So we kind of set that up as well specifically. So um, all of our fans could get familiar with that history. Anybody that's, you know, extra passionate about our building could really delve in, you know, get excited. I love that you're also this even just using the term forever and and how you mentioned looking ahead at the next 100 years, because I think I think it would have been fine to kind of focus in on the history, but you're also um, maybe in your mind dating yourself to the public. Right. So so kind of taking a dual approach of saying, you know, we've got this these amazing memories and we want you to share them with us. And this is generational. And, yeah, your grandparents, your great grandparents maybe came here. But then also, this is Coliseum forever. Like, we're not going anywhere. We've stood the test of time. We continue to do it. And we're looking forward to the next 100 years just as much as we're looking back to the last 100 years. Absolutely. 100%. And to go off of that sentiment, we also developed with the USC Thornton School, this is another piece of this whole centennial picture that I forgot to mention, a song basically sort of commemorating the 100th anniversary and that move and that shift into the next 100 years. And um, so it's a song that two USC alumni actually wrote and created. Wonderful song. And they sort of partnered with one of the assistant deans at Thornton to put it together and, you know, go to the recording studio and all those little things. Um, And the song did actually debut during the USC versus Utah football game uh, this season. So it was very exciting. So that's sort of the anthem, if you will, the centennial anthem, and it's called We Came to Bring the Fire. So um, you can find it Did on you all... you sing that for us real quick? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, sing oh a few bars. Drop a few bars for us. <laughs> the now first that song, it's, it's um, the, the chorus goes, we came to bring the fire, hold it higher, we came to bring the fire for the fighters, and then it kind of, it, it the lyrics are very... I would say inspiring yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of the future and, and really looking ahead. And so that's um, kind of the direction we went with it. And all kinds of USC departments have gotten involved, the song girls and the spirit leaders and all those different groups have, you know, started making dances to it. They're kind of, you know, trending it as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, and so that's been another piece of that uh, strategy to not just celebrate the centennial, but to continue that mindset as we move into the next century. It's just, you know, one of the challenges that we're hearing from a lot of people in the industry uh, who are in buildings that are getting a little bit older, even as they're hitting their their 25-year anniversary, is those early days, nobody did a great job of saving stuff, or it's in a box somewhere, or, you know, before before everything was digital, you know, we're definitely uh, uh, struggling, and who is the building historian? When you're looking back 100 years, obviously, there's a lot more of that. So talk to me, because I'm guessing you didn't know all this uh, a few years ago, and you've kind of taken this role of kind of uh, becoming a building historian along with the rest of your staff there. So talk about how you guys have kind of managed that and kind of been able to dig into your archives to, to find some of those milestone moments. Yeah, no, absolutely. So going back to pre-2013, so back in 2013 was when the University of Southern California signed a lease agreement to operate and manage the Coliseum. And going back before that time period, so really the last 10-ish 10 plus years since that agreement was signed, we've done a great job of archiving and um, USC has really helped us to preserve a lot of that history in terms of photos and memorabilia and all that kind of stuff. 
But pre-2013, you, you're absolutely right. We do have a little bit of a gap in terms of what was preserved and what is still around. You know, Getty Images and AP, you can go back online and find a lot of historic photos, but those aren't things that we necessarily own. So um, to go all the way back to that time period, you're 100% right. And you it does get a little bit lost in translation, a little bit depending on how far back you're trying to go and all those types of things. We do have a couple of time capsules, though, which is exciting um, that I'm aware of. There's two of them in the building, and I don't know if or when there might be plans to open them, but they were both created. Do it today. Jackhammer and welder, you know. Yes. I'll help. We'll come. (laughs) Exactly. And um, there's also a very interesting door that hasn't been opened in, I don't even know how many years, but um, legend has it, right? Legend has it that it's the door that the Dodgers actually used to go in and out of the clubhouse, AKA the locker room at the time. Um, But the Dodgers were using it for baseball back in fifties and early sixties when the Dodgers played at the Coliseum before Dodger stadium was built. Um, And so we have a variety of some baseball memorabilia and then going back to um, even if you think about down in our field house, we have an area down there where it's actually a, a kind of a low hanging ceiling, if you will, just the way that the room is sort of set up down there, their, their little break room area. And we have, we've collected, I don't even know how many, I would say probably close to 50, if not more um, autographs on that ceiling of um, NFL players, USC football players. Uh, we have a couple baseball players on there as well. Um, a couple of pro soccer athletes too. Um, really, it's just kind of a smorgasbord, if you will, of, of a variety of different athletes that have been interested and wanted to sign it, just having heard about it. And um, yeah, so a lot of really special areas throughout the building. We also have in our administration building a huge tribute to all of our history. You walk in there and you see posters of concerts from a variety of all the different artists that played at the Coliseum at one point in history. Then you kind of go up the stairwell and you see a really awesome NASCAR wall art as well on the wall. So we put that up. Then you get up to the top and you see a Super Bowl one wall art. And then you've got a soccer uniform, a USC jersey, a Dodgers jersey, a Rams jersey. Um, the list goes on. Then we also have a mannequin that's dressed in a 1984 United States track and field uh, uniform. So really a huge variety of stuff. Uh, 1984 Olympic torch also sits right near that um, mannequin wearing the Olympic uh, uniform. So yeah, huge variety of stuff. And if you're into the history, you really love walking through all of that and and sort of it just captures everything that the building's been through and just the huge variety with that. Are there any nuggets that you all discovered when you were digging through the history that maybe you didn't know about and you're like, oh my gosh, we hosted this event or we hosted this presidential figure or concert or whatever, but but that was not sort of things that you already were talking about. And when you started, you know, thumbing through the deeper archives, you're like, holy moly, like, like, are there any things that come to mind there? Yeah, one thing that I 
absolutely loved learning about was actually the, we hosted, and this is, like you say, it's just a nugget that was totally just buried somewhere when I was going through and and kind of learning all this. Um, Back in 1945, in June, more specifically, was the end of World War II. And at the time, D-Day had happened, I don't even know how much longer before this uh, event took place exactly, but um, D-Day had happened and the war was officially over and Generals Patton and Doolittle, who were two of the United States, you know, most prominent generals, especially toward the end of World War II, um, very instrumental in sort of wrapping things up and winning battles and getting it done, if you will. The two of them were welcomed back to the United States and made their first public appearance since returning back to the U.S. after the war at the Coliseum. And we hosted over 100,000 people for that event. Everybody wanted to be here for it. It was a huge deal. It was the first time that both of the generals also spoke publicly since returning from the war and just was a huge celebration, not just of, I think, you know, victory, if you will, but also just of relief, you know, and of kind of a transition away from wartime and back into maybe whatever the new normal turned out to be after World War II. So it was a very pivotal moment just in United States history that really get, yeah, and it's kind of a a more, um, uh, I guess you could say, unrecognized one, just in the sense that I had no idea it would have happened there. And, you know, the focus historically and politically, a lot of the time with Coliseum events and history is the six presidential visits that we've hosted over the many years here. Uh, There have been six presidents that have come, uh, which is exciting in and of itself. But that, I think, really, for me, just thinking about you know, what if you were attending that event and, you know, just kind of putting myself in the shoes of, you know, a 1945 resident of Los Angeles that's coming because, you know, in the Coliseum is that central meeting place where, wow, we can really appreciate this together. And, you know, that was the way you did it. You, you really had no other way. There was no social media. You could read about it in the newspaper the next day. That's about the next best thing. But really to be there was was the entire purpose. And that's, you know, really what the Coliseum has been all about. Its entire history is being that meeting place and and really honing in on just how special that is. And and the special events you guys do continue. It's it's amazing to see, you know, uh, what you guys do there. And obviously, a uh, 100-year venue faces some challenges uh, in yes. the way they can handle things. And and let me just ask you, let, let's just add, talk about it because, you know, very, it was in the news with the time of recording this, that there were, you know, the huge 100-year downfall, if you will, <laughs> uh, of rain in, in the area. And you guys were hosting a big event uh, when you guys actually bring NASCAR into the Coliseum. Uh, so talk to me about kind of some of the challenges there, how the building handled it and and what you guys had to do, because I know it was no small effort what you guys were able to pull off. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. One thing about the building. Yes, while it is 100 years old and we do have our little things that come up from from time to time. And sometimes we're changing a pipe from 1938 one day and you kind of <laughs> never know what, what might be happening. The building does hold up 
I would say you would probably be surprised at how well it holds up after record setting rainfall, if you will. Really, it's a bunch of little things. We always kind of go into it having implemented as many preventative measures as possible. Um, we also have a director of operations and a facilities uh, senior manager who work together extremely well. They're two of the absolute best in the business at really sort of learning and understanding how the building works. And um, one of them even has a nickname for the Coliseum. He calls it the old lady. So it's pretty funny. Uh, so sometimes <laughs> the old lady has kind of a rough day and you just, you never know what's going to happen. And there might be leaks and different things going on and puddles and who knows. But we've also, like I mentioned, every time an old pipe does go out or, for example, our irrigation tiles down on the field, there have been little things that we've been able to update recently, especially with the pandemic, that allowed us the ability to really kind of take a step back and take a look at some of our checklists. And, you know, while we have nobody in the building, what can we do to improve it? And really a lot of those things sort of came into fruition and, and our uh, operations teams were really happy with a lot of those improvements and even little things like painting the upper concourse, which hadn't been done in about 50 years. Um, that was another <laughs> thing that, that took place during the pandemic that we were able to get done. So um, yeah, it it has its little things, but again, we are very lucky to uh, work in a space also that has sort of the classic 100-year feel in the seating bowl and all that. But we also do have a uh, luxury suite tower that was finished in 2019, mostly brand new, you know, state-of-the-art still at this point, five years later. Um, and so that allows us to, you know, kind of have the best of both worlds in that way. So we have a little bit of an easier time with some of the more modern um, amenities that have been installed. But yeah, realistically, not a whole lot of challenges, um, or I guess less than maybe one would think we have, which is absolutely wonderful. And to go into NASCAR, yeah, we were supposed to host that Sunday, February 4th. That was the original uh, scheduled date for the NASCAR Clash race. Uh, Saturday, February 3rd was supposed to be just qualifying races that would then determine the positioning of who races in the Clash sure. on the Sunday. Uh, however, with the rainstorm that came in and just swept through. Thankfully, uh, the rain is gone now. It is now Thursday, uh, February 8th. So we're a few days out from that big record-setting rainfall. We ended up with like 11 inches of rain, which is just unprecedented for, yeah, for Southern California. You just don't see it. But um, we ended up making the decision um, in conjunction with NASCAR's team to basically do the entire all of the racing activities on Saturday instead of Sunday. So for me, being nine and a half years in the sports industry, I had never uh, moved up an event. Yes, yeah. exactly. Usually you're you're punting it further. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a first for me, and um, I'm pretty sure our entire staff, our general manager Joe as well, uh, reiterated that. And um, I was actually at. Dodger Fest. So I work part-time over at Dodger Stadium. That's my um, side job is as a stadium tour guide for sure. uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. And I'm over there. Uh, we had a fan event going on that day. There was a player meet and greet I was involved in. And I'm getting a call from our general manager. And he's like, 
NASCARs today. And I'm like, wait, what? So obviously <laughs> couldn't, couldn't make any sudden moves but given what I was already working on over at the Dodgers. Mm. But as soon as I possibly could, rushed over here. Uh, we had to get signage up on that freeway sign I mentioned earlier, you know, letting the public know the races today in case you hadn't heard, that kind of thing. And then NASCAR was encouraging anybody to really come in and watch, given that everything was happening the day before. They didn't know who could still realistically make it to the race. Um, but all of the previously purchased ticket holders did get refunded for the event, all that kind of stuff. But um, really, it was a feat that I think nobody expected to have to kind of execute the way that it was. Um, earlier in the week, there was discussion of maybe Monday we would postpone the race, you know, do some stuff later on. At no point did we really discuss you know, moving forward with an earlier race time. So um, our entire team, though, um, it's a testament to just how well everybody works together, um, both internally and with the NASCAR team. The can-do attitudes that our team has are just, you know, second to none. Um, they do call us the best in the business that work in the greatest stadium in the world. And I think that was really highlighted with this event. And just the way that everybody just immediately moved into action in whatever their respective areas were uh, was really inspiring. And I think just, again, um, a testament to what we can do and, and how much we care about the building and making sure that things are executed correctly and that things are done right. And um, one quote that uh, I really liked from Joe Furin that he said earlier in the week as well, he said, we do what many people think is impossible and we make it look easy. And I think that's a really good way of sort of summarizing that effort there with NASCAR. Oh, that's great. The, the old lady's pretty nimble after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully you won't have to worry about another 100-year flood until uh, many generations from now is worried about Somebody the bicentennial. The yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you never know. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today on on your your stories and as you're celebrating the hundred and, and everything going on there. It's it's a lot of stuff and we appreciate it. Uh, if somebody wants to follow along or learn more, uh, give the give the plugs, give the uh, where people can find you on social or on the web. Yes, absolutely. So LA Coliseum on Instagram, on Twitter, the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, a LinkedIn as well. Um, you can also visit us at lacoliseum.com uh, and coliseumforever.com is the other location that you can go to specifically for centennial content. So uh, that's going to be it for all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, the building is amazing. If you don't know much about it and this intrigues you, definitely check us out. Paul, we did an episode uh, specifically about how they turn this venue into a NASCAR uh, racing place, uh, NASCAR track for, for a special event. If somebody wants to hear that episode, because it's actually pretty cool, uh, where's the best place for them to find that? Uh, you know, all your all your spot, wherever you're listening to us currently, just uh, scroll a couple of years earlier and you'll find <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, we're on, you know, all the podcast platforms. Yeah. Yes. And I think it was the Joe Furin uh, episode. I think yes. he, his, my Which was title. your first. You said your this is your third NASCAR 
one that you just did, the one that had to move up. So that yes. was that that was where we were talking about the first time that it had ever been hosted, which is pretty interesting. Right. Yes, correct. Very cool. I, I really I love hearing about you know the the, the old ladies of this industry and the uh, uh, the buildings <laughs> that are that are still talent. There's so much to tell, right? They're just it's just so when you much. visit them, there's the walls literally speak. There's so much history, and I appreciate you taking the time to to share uh, your adventures and celebrating that that anniversary here with us. Absolutely. Thank you guys again so much for the opportunity. Uh, we all really appreciate it and couldn't be happier to uh, get the word out. And as Paul and I were saying at the, the beginning of this episode, uh, we're grateful to everyone who's been with us on this 100 episode uh, journey. Uh, so Adventures in Venue Land forever. I think we're. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I love it. I don't Take know if we have time right. to put together a microsite, but maybe. <laughs> yes. Uh, big thanks to everybody who listens. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes like the one we were just talking about wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five star reviews. It helps others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rattleberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Here's to 100 more. Uh-huh. <laughs> Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Venue Marketing Conference, a marketing conference that brings together diversified event and venue professionals to cultivate education, collaboration, and innovation for the growing sports and live entertainment industry. Find out more at eventvenuemarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Ruttelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.